this sermon is one of those sermons that is vitally important to the body of Christ. Um, and it's uh, one of the sermons that there has to be a prerequisite. And, and that's that we as a body are committed to the belief that Jesus is Lord over our lives. That anything he says to us, anything that he tells us to do, anything that he calls us to is of the utmost importance. One of the things is this is going to maybe be a hard word if you have this. I'm going to keep living my life and sprinkle a little Jesus on it. Instead, if we come at it from a Jesus is everything, this word is super easy, okay? So that's the prerequisite. So let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in this place. Father God, we are thankful for what you are doing in this place. Jesus, I pray that you would just continue to just build your house. This is a house that's foremost, that Christ is the center of this house. Lord, as we continue to carry out your mission, I pray right now for each person, Lord, that you will encourage people through your Holy Spirit, you will convict people through your Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do, your will be done in this house. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. In, in all my time in Christian ministry, there's this one underlining question that gets asked to me more often than not. This question is, what is my calling? Have you ever been there? We're a church that has a lot of younger people. This is vitally important to them. What is my calling? And there seems to be an angst with this question. There's like a, 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 a kind of like an anxiety or a worry or a stress with this question. And it's like this generation thinks or has this like ideal that like there's a specific calling, there's a specific mission for me, and that sometimes can almost be like this obsession. They almost get obsessed with it. They almost like don't know how to move. They're almost demobilized by this question. And, and the Lord's going to reveal what each one of us are called to do in this talk. I, I talk with people and I, I, I counsel people and I pray with people. And it's so funny because more often than not, when the Lord speaks or develops this clarity on what they're supposed to be doing, there's almost like this letdown. It's almost like this balloon gets popped. And it's kind of funny because we find that the Lord oftentimes has something for them that's just in their current moment, something that they're just already doing, something that they're uh, supposed to, that's something that's right in front of them, something that they're supposed to do within a current situation, within their job or within their families or within their neighborhoods or they, they know that it's something that they're supposed to do, but they have to find the courage to do it. Or, hear me, especially young people, or there's going to be a pain that's going to be involved if they say yes to it. When you said yes to Jesus, there's a lot of people that have, that have said yes to Jesus in this room in the last one to three years. You feel it. There's a, a pain. There's a, there is something that you have to give up to say yes to Jesus. And it's like this balloon gets popped when I say that to you, this, to them. In this world of oversharing, in this world of creating false narratives, on this, in this world of looking good on social media, here's a little hint. If people look good on social media, nine out of ten times their life does not look like what they, they want it to look like. But we have taken that mindset and we have put it into the church and we've said, this is what my life is supposed to look like in the Christian faith. The Lord never promised that. Some, there's this lie that we have to do something completely unique. There's this lie that something, we have to do something incredible for the kingdom. There's this lie that we have to do something that will make us a legend. And we can believe this lie, but it's not our call. Here's one of the most difficult things to come to terms with. At least it's for me. Just so you know, I'm preaching to myself on this. 
you are involved in your calling, but it's not about you. Let me say that again. You are involved in your calling. That's the good news. You're there. You're involved. But it's not about you. We're going to unpack this today. We are in the sermon series, The Way of Jesus. And we're looking at the book of Mark to study deeply our Lord. And if we are going to call ourselves Christ followers, if we consider that the utmost importance of our life, then our life's going to look a little bit different. Because we need to look at how he lived and how he taught his disciples. And then we go and do those things. Amen? Amen. Let's look at this. We're going to look at two stories in Mark 6. We're looking at Jesus being rejected in his hometown and this incredible moment right after where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, Mark 6, 1 through 4. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where does this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. So Jesus is going back to his hometown, about 25, minute, 25 miles from the lake that he was. He's going to Nazareth, and he's accompanied by his disciples. Now remember, Jesus left his hometown and his people as just himself. He left just as Jesus, and now he's coming back as a teacher and a rabbi, and he's coming back with an entourage. This is a big deal. And they're going to see that he's using this moment, I believe, to prepare his disciples for what he is about to experience, about their mission. And Jesus gets a tough reception. He just does. And a place that you think that would be the most blown away by what he's doing, he actually gets resistance. Now, I was thinking about this. Is Raise your hand if you're from a small town. If you're from a small town. Okay, you small town folk, you know. If there's any famous person from your small town, you know who that famous person is. Even if they're remotely famous. The most famous person in my town is a person that you have never heard of, I guarantee. There's a guy by the name of Steve Offord. Does anybody know Steve Offord? All right, all right, we got two, we got three. All right, I like it. You would think this dude is the most legend dude that you've ever met. His mom was my fifth grade teacher. Uh, it was first page news when the person who bought his childhood home cut his basketball goal down. He was an IU basketball player. He played in the pros. He won a gold medal on the, on the U.S. Olympic team, and he now coaches. And so if you want to know what my hometown's like, I, I feel like I talk about my hometown so much that we're going to have to take like a, like, we're gonna have to take a trip, like a class trip to Newcastle, <laughs> Indiana. But you would not believe how beautiful this is. When you drive in from the highway to my hometown, this is the thing that you see first. It is a giant shoe. Of, uh, of Steve Offord and Steve Offord Inn. Somebody created a hotel, and this dude is so legendary that they literally named the hotel Steve Offord Inn. And there's a big shoe. This is beautiful. Look at this. Right by the Steak and Shake, too. You know what I'm talking about. And whatever he's coaching, they paint this shoe, okay? Look at when you check in. Check out this shrine. I would love to see this anywhere else. Look at this shrine of this dude. Now, here's the deal with Steve Offord. 
He's awesome. He's a man of God. He did a lot, so I'm not, I'm not joking. But here's, here's one of the things that's interesting about him. He could only shoot three-pointers, and Jesus could walk around healing people and proclaiming the good news and casting out demons. And Nazareth's like, no, 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 no. Steve Offord, when he comes in, there's like, a, there's like a, a parade through the hometown, right? I mean, there's a giant shoe of whatever team he's coaching. And it's amazing because Jesus comes to his hometown and he gets the complete opposite of the Steve Offord experience from Newcastle, Indiana. And what we see is that the disciples, would have, the disciples would have been puzzled by this lack of positive response. And we see that the religious people, once again, are the ones who cannot see what God is doing. The encounter happens in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And once again, the people there were astonished by his teachings. And they start to ask the question, where did Jesus get his wisdom and power? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter? These are the questions that they start to ask. And it's really fascinating because logical thinking starts to happen for people. If you have had an encounter with Jesus, if you are new to the faith, I guarantee that this has happened. You begin to ask these questions that aren't necessarily bad, but logic starts to get in the way of who Jesus actually is. And their eyes see something, but their heads warp what they have witnessed. That's what's so hard about the truth. It's a similar challenge that we face today when we're sharing the truth. So often, people may even want to believe. They may be even open to it, and they start down the journey, but then they start to internalize and question matters of the utmost importance about Jesus. And and they, they have these questions that aren't necessarily bad, but their proposed answers are bad. And what we see is these, they start thinking, he's just a carpenter. He's just Mary's son. We know who this dude is. We know who this dude is. We're too close to the situation to actually be moved to, by Jesus and his actions. And I think this is happening in our context as well today. People have grown up with preconceived notions about what this Jesus following stuff is. They just have. It's really hard to share the gospel right now because they have so many preconceived notions in their head of who Jesus is or who Christians are or who the the church is. They're thinking, oh, those Christians, they are judgmental. They're lame. They're old-fashioned. Do you ever hear that, right? They, they, They say, oh, I know how the church is. It's irrelevant or at the worst, it's corrupt. And they say this, I know who Jesus is and he's not all what people say he is. But here's the problem. Jesus remains the truth. This doesn't bother Jesus that much. Jesus remains the truth. His teaching and his life remain true, and the Holy Spirit remains active. If you don't believe me, I promise you, it's amazing what God's doing within this church, and it's all within the Holy Spirit doing the work. The Holy Spirit remains active, and and the truth is the truth, and God is pouring people in here who are asking these questions, but they're setting it into their hearts and their minds. But what we see is oftentimes... We see this where their lives are changed forever. Healing and transformation is happening within the church, but people have such a preconceived notion of what faith is that they can't cross that barrier. Now what we see here is that Mark says their hometown, the people were, they stumbled. They, the, the, the meaning here is literally they took offense at him. They, they, couldn't even, like, they couldn't even stand him being there. And what we see is that the people of Nazareth, his own people, reject him as the Messiah because they cannot quite 
believe that someone so close to them and so well-known could be God's anointing. And I think we can glean from this. I, I really do. That, that day, we have so, in this day, we have so much noise. Do you guys feel that? There's so much disbelief, but there's so much jadedness. There is so much jadedness, even within the church, but outside the church, that it's like they can't even receive what they may be feeling, what they're thinking, or they be, begin to explore. But Jesus, who stays the same, is the truth and the life. And just like the people of Jesus' hometown, many people today cannot see the forest through the trees. So what do we find? Mark 6. And he could, and he could no, do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus is amazed at their unbelief. And says he could not do a mighty work there. This really could read, he could no longer under the circumstances or he no longer did any miracles because Jesus' power doesn't change. That's what's interesting. Jesus' power doesn't change. What we see is that people's faith changes. That's the resistance. Because of their unbelief, and I love this line because Mark always does this. Remember he always said, and he cast out a few demons, it says, except for he healed a few people. So Jesus still could heal people, but it was a, he was astonished by it. He said he marveled at this. Throughout his ministry, he's casting out demons and he's healing. And it says over and over again, we've been reading in Mark, that the crowds following him were amazed. They were astonished at what he's doing. And in this moment, Jesus goes to his hometown and his people, and he's actually astonished at their disbelief. The crowds throughout his ministry have been amazed at what Jesus was doing, and he goes to his people, and he's amazed at just their disbelief. And, and so we see the opposite can be true. There's this refusal to believe in Jesus, and it's just this glimpse of what the disciples will experience in the next section, all right? And that's where we get into this ballgame, all right? What we see is that Mark's readers then and us now would experience this in the advance of the kingdom. We see this juxtaposition in Mark. Jesus just experienced the inability to reach his hometown. These are the people that Jesus should have been easily reaching. And Jesus is showing, I'm actually unable to reach my hometown. So what does Jesus do? Of course, he lets up on his disciples. He's like, you know what? Let's just lay low for a little bit. Let's chill out for a little bit. No, Jesus instead does this. He sends the 12 out to do what he had just been showing them to do. And it's really fascinating because Jesus has this juxtaposition of he comes to his hometown and he gets rejected. And he said, now you're going to go out and do this. Jesus now includes his disciples in the threefold invasion of the spiritual realm. He's saying, you're going to go out and you're going to proclaim. You're going to go out and you're going to cast out. And you're going to go out and you're going to heal. But first, I'm going to show you how this is not going to be easy. Mark 6 and 7, he went out among the villages teaching and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Despite his own rejection of some of the people who he must have dearly loved him, we see Jesus continues his mission into neighboring villages. And while he's doing this, he's setting the stage. He's saying, 12, here's what you're going to do. It's time for you to go out. Now remember... There's a couple things that are going on here. There's, it's important to understand this, and it's important for us to understand this as a church. One, the mission is caught and it's taught. The mission is caught and it's taught. This 
is a danger within the American church right now. This is not, I always say this, I don't know how else to change it. This is not how this was meant to be. One dude up here teaching, although teaching's fine, but everyone just sitting and watching and listening, and then we're ready to go do the mission. It's, caught, it's taught, yes, it's important to be taught. It's important to be discipled. It's important to know the word of God, but it's also important to catch how the kingdom advances. And the disciples would have been taught by Jesus. They would have had a whole new understanding of how the kingdom of God worked, but they also would have been witnessing him healing people. They would have been witnessing him proclaiming the good news. They would have been witnessing him casting out demons. And we have to understand this. Many of us on the discipleship journey are at the place where we need to catch it, not just hear it. Amen? We need to know how to pray for people. We need to know how to share the gospel. We need to know how to proclaim the good news. We need to know how to deal in the spiritual realm. And that's my heart for this church, is that we don't just teach it, but we catch it. Because when we catch it, the Spirit of God moves in the cities of Lakewood and UP and Parkland and Tacoma or wherever you're all from. But the Lord wants to move through us. Now there's another thing. you got to get your hands dirty. This is in the middle of their walk with Jesus, not the end. That's the holdup. There is an uh, old line that is true. At least it was true for me, so I hope it's true for you. It says, one, you'll never be ready to be married. And two, you'll never be ready to have kids. There's some sort of like lie within people that they have to achieve this level before they're ready to do X, Y, or Z. And, and what's amazing is that it almost demobilizes people to the next step that God has for them. Some people jump into stuff way too quick. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there is a level of that happening right now. We see it in the church as well. It's like, I could never do that. Uh, maybe they even think, I paid the pastor and the staff to do that, right? I'm serious. It happens. But Jesus is calling these 12 in the middle of their ministry, not at the end of the ministry. He's going to call them again at the end, just FYI. We've got to make that clear. But he's saying, we're going to do this now. What we see is this is a critical part. The scary stuff that Jesus is telling him is going to happen. And what we see within our churches is that we're held back from the spread of the gospel because we feel like there's some sort of level that we have to achieve. But we also see this. As a community, if we want to continue to look at the way of Jesus, to look more like Jesus, we have to join together in prayer and join together in the work of sharing Jesus within our community Advancing the kingdom of God is what each one is are, are called on. There's a couple things that we can pull from this, this, this story as well. Number one, the mission is initiated and empowered by Jesus. If you are at a place where you're like, what is my calling? What is my mission? Jesus is saying this from the beginning. You are involved in your calling, but it's not about you. We do not choose our call. We are the object, not the subject. In this world, we come from it where we think it's all about us. That is the greatest lie that we have to shake out of ourselves, myself included. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. Jesus calls. Jesus sends out. Jesus gives the mission. It's all about Jesus. And he, when he calls, he'll also give us the authority. Our own abilities will never make us adequate for the task. Our own abilities will never make us adequate for the task. If you believe this, then you will always fall short. Jesus is calling people to the mission 
And then he's saying, not only that, but I'm going to give you the authority and the power to move it forward. And our ability always will fall short. And to the disciples, it's the same call. As Jesus is about to ascend to his resurrection, do you remember what he says to him? One of the most important verses in the Bible. Matthew 28. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So now the call is there. The call is the same call as us. The disciples received it. The mission is clear. The calling is here to make disciples of all nations. But then again, to just echo this, in Acts 1.8, what happens? They first have to receive power and authority. You have to receive power and authority. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All of us share this calling. All of us share this first century calling. This is our calling. This is our mission. But what we see is that he's going to give us the authority through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's going to call us to things and it's going to be scary. He just said it with the disciples but he's going to give us the authority and he's going to give us the power that we need throughout this mission. What I found is that when we try on our own, we always fall short. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Hear me say this. I believe that we are a church that over-indexes, praise the Lord, on eager to be on mission people. Praise the Lord, all right? Eager to be on mission people. We need to be over-indexed in that. But at the same time, it is done, uh, work done independently of God will be futile. That's what it's saying. It is vain to attempt things without the Lord. Builders work on a house in vain unless the Lord builds it. Watchmen guard in vain unless the Lord watches. And being anxious over one's labor for food is in vain. I'm guilty of this myself. If we aren't continually giving our lives and our ministries to our families and to our workplace and to our neighborhoods over to God, it's all in vain. And that's one of the challenges. Not only is the call all about God and not about you, but it's also when we get it, we have to continually give it to the Lord because if not, it's all in vain. I, I get this a lot because it leads to sleepless nights and anxiety. The elder team called me out this called me out on this a lot. There are moments where it's like we're we're building this church, we're advancing God's kingdom, and sometimes it leads to anxiety and worry. But instead, that means that my I'm doing it in my own power. I'm not under the power and the authority of Jesus. Now, one of the risks of that. One of the risks of that is that there's this little nagging thing that comes at people, and you might hear it too. Why are we not doing this? Why are we not doing that? Why are we not doing this? Why are we not doing that? Well, here's one of the challenges. The Lord hasn't told us to do that. As a community, we come together, and this is our call. We say, Lord, what do you have for us? There is an infinite amount of things that we could do. But if the Lord's not in it, if the Lord hasn't called us, he hasn't given us the authority, he hasn't given us the power, it will all be in vain. And I don't want us to do anything in this church that's in vain. Anything. 
So let's go on because he's going to give marching orders. Mark 6, 8 through 13, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not, they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Verse 8 through 11 is this. Jesus is discussing the physical or material aspects of the mission. In our mission and callings, one of the challenges is God calls you. It's not about you, right? He gives you the power of the authority, and he still calls you more to a dependence on him. God loves for you to have a dependence on him, not on your stuff. One of the most difficult things about walking the way of Jesus is sometimes you have to say, and I've had moments with the Lord like this, to say, all I did was say yes, Lord. All I did was say yes. Why did it get harder? Why did it get more difficult? Do you ever feel that way? All the teachers in the room are like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. All I did was say yes. The Lord is calling us, even in the middle of our calling and our mission, where it is to reach people. It is to change our communities for the power, with the power of the gospel. But he's also saying, I'm going to do something in you. I want to build up a dependence in you. The 12 are to take no bread, no money, no nothing. This stripped down tra travel is this image of urgency of the task, yes. But it also is that 12 are to depend upon God for the journey. This in America in 2023 is complete opposite. Complete opposite. So many of us have filled our lives with stuff. Possessions, yes, but dependency in general. We have to have the nicest stuff or we deserve to go to the fanciest dinners or we have to have all these subscriptions. That was a little bit convicting for me. We have too much content to consume. To be, to, we're too busy, right? Too busy too much stuff, too much debt, whatever it is, that we don't see how we could possibly maybe go on a mission trip or host a family or go out on a Saturday and do the work of the Lord. There's so much stuff. There's so much busyness. There's so much dependency on our own works that we're not leaning into God here. This is not a... Uh, this is not a sell everything you have talk, okay? So I want to be very clear on this. This is, however, and I really do want everyone to hear this, this is a take inventory of your life talk. This is not a sell everything you have talk, but this is a take inventory of your life talk. The mission's too critical right now. It really is. And I know this is a culture of our church that goes beyond ourselves in advancement of the kingdom, so I want to be very careful. This is not a, this is a reminder, not a, Shame on you, okay? Because we go over and beyond in this church. I mean, you can feel it. You guys are the most gracious and generous. But that always means at the same time that we can always take inventory. We can always take inventory. And that's not to, for you guys to give more to the church. I, I really don't mean that. I mean that more to get outside these walls and start doing the work of the Lord. Amen? Number uh, three, the way of Jesus is a dependency on, on God, not on stuff. But we also see this, the hardest part. We should expect rejection. This is number one within the church right now. We should expect rejection. 
This is the greatest thing that holds us back. When we make our call about ourselves, we get demobilized when there is this thought that people would reject us. Newsflash, they are not rejecting you. They are not rejecting you. They are rejecting truth. That's just the truth of it. Jesus was rejected in his hometown. And he's saying, now you're going to go out 12, and you are going to have all the riches. You're going to have all the success. You're going to have everything going your way. He says, no, you're going to be rejected too because you've got to figure out this wiping your sandals off thing, right? Jesus gives them the instructions. If any place, a household, a synagogue, a village would not offer hospitality or listen to their message, they were to leave there and to shake the dust off of their feet. So what's that about? Devout Jews did this. They, they wiped off the, the sand or the, the dirt off their feet when they left a Gentile or an alien land. This was, a, this was a practice that they would have done. They did this to show that they were disassociating themselves with where they just were. When they come back to Jewish land, they wipe their feet off because they, had, they were showing that I'm disassociating myself with where I just was. And so it's this mark. It's showing that the reality of the kingdom of God's presence, which brings salvation or judgment, was dependent on the recipient, not on their faithfulness. And so what we see is that this act showed the disciples that they did their responsibility. That's one of the challenges. You did your responsibility. You may get rejected for it. You may meet resistance for it. But what happens is we don't do anything because of that. I'm dead serious, myself included. It's the number one thing. When you tie yourself into the calling, when you tie yourself into the mission, when you tie yourself into how this will be successful, we are so afraid of rejection that we will never, ever say the thing that the Lord prompts you to say or to, to pray for somebody that you know needs prayed for. And the worst comes the worst, they're going to say no to the truth, not no to you. They aren't. That's not to slap them upside the head. We can do it lovingly. But if they say no, it's, it's them, not you. You know the truth. It's so important. Our actions go from our beliefs. Our actions go from our beliefs. And one of the things that's really hard is, do we really believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing that anybody could ever believe in? Do we believe that it brings salvation? Do we believe that it brings freedom? Do we believe that it brings healing and transformation, or do we not? I had a lot of amens going on there. Thank you. It's, it's of the utmost importance. It, it, re it really is. Guys, I, I say this is off script, but I say this over and over again. I come from a place that's the Bible Belt. Now, do people all believe it? I don't know or don't, but it's like 96% of a Christian, and the other 4%, I, I don't know, they just, they just aren't in it, I guess. We're at like, here it's like 18%, if not less. Like 18% of people like our faith in general. In Pierce County, God has placed you in a, in a place that is one of the most unreached people groups in the world. Think about that. And yet our churches are just blah. They are. And I think the Lord is calling us to something. He, he's called you as a disciple that you're now to hit the ground as a missionary. And not only as a missionary, but like in one of the most unreached people groups. Think about that. We think about some far off mission trip 
or some other thing that we have to do. And instead we take this, society's out there and we're over here and we're going to hunker down. And Jesus was never about that. Yes, he taught in the synagogue, but he's always like, come here, disciples. We're going to go out and we're going to do it because we're not received there. Jesus wasn't received in the religious places. He was out doing the work. All right. I don't know what else to say. Now, the good news is, bad news, you will be rejected, although I guess it's just the truth. You will be rejected. But the good news is, when you read in here, some people's lives were forever changed. There are people that I'm looking at right now whose lives were changed by Jesus radically. Those of us who grew up in the church, those of us that have been like around for like 30, 40 years, we can get lame. These new Christians are like, I'm hungry. I'm ready. They said yes, and they saw their lives move from here to there, and they saw the transformation of Jesus Christ. And some people's lives will be forever changed. People will be healed. People will be delivered. But only when we understand the disciples of Jesus are to do what Jesus does. The disciples of Jesus are to do what, this, what Jesus does. This is our calling. God is calling us to live above all of this. Because when we do, we find true purpose and we find our identity. We find our identity. When we become people of the way, when we become people who follow Jesus with our whole hearts, when we go and do the mission work, when you, I'm telling you, if you just have one person, if, I see a lot of people have, if you just get one person to come to love and the realization of Jesus Christ, man, it is like addicting. It is like, this is what it was all about. But when we get stale and we get mundane, it's like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. I don't know. You can get into your head and you can start to ask the questions of like, what am I doing even here? We have to be on mission. When our lives become all about God and not about us, when we no longer live trying to do things on our own strength, but instead we wait on the Lord and we step in his authority. When we no longer have a dependency on the world stuff, instead we put our dependence on Jesus. We no longer worry about rejection. Do you hear me say that? If you're worried about rejection, make it not about you. If you're worried about rejection, put it, your dependence on the Lord. If you're worried about rejection, it's his authority and it's his power. If you're worried about rejection, it's they're re rejecting the truth, not you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. When, we're no longer when we no longer worry about rejection, we remain faithful to share the truth. And we know that what's our responsibility and what's the responsibility of the other. That, that's the truth. What is your responsibility? The question is, what's your responsibility today? Like, has the Lord spoken to you on that? Because there's so many times that people come up and they want prayer, which is great. And I'll pray with anybody who's like, what's my calling? And I'll pray with anybody. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But I'm telling you, more often than not, the Lord's saying, what's right in front of you? What is right in front of you? What's the place that I put you to have influence? And what's the place that I put you to love on people and to share the good news? Because if this room here just started doing that a little bit, the gospel would begin to advance. I'm telling you, people would come to know the, the love of Jesus like no other time. But when we live in this, like one of the challenges is, 
oftentimes churches talk about this, like we're going to take the city, we're going to take the community, we're going to transform the state, we're going to transform the nation. All good stuff. You know how he does it? By individuals saying, I got this one. You got that one? I got this one. The small seeds that begin to take place, that then the Lord takes and makes this tapestry, and you look at it, you're like, the kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is advancing. Each one of us, many of us, maybe you've been like raised in the church, and that's totally fine. Each one of us came to know the Lord because somebody was not afraid of rejection. Someone was not afraid to share the good news with us. Our lives were forever changed and transformed and we got healing and we got freedom because somebody said, Jesus loves you. And I don't care what you say. Go ahead, stand up. Jesus setting these 12 on mission is just a foretaste and it sets the example for each of us because our mission stays the same. Let me read this. Actually, let's read this, let's read this together. Let's put it up on, on Gabe, up on Matthew 28. Ready? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and to teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gives us a great calling and he gives us a great promise at the same time. Surely I am with you always. Jesus is about to ascend and he gives this great promise. I am with you. But our calling is the first part. Therefore, go and make disciples. And that's our call 2,000 years later. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Sometimes the simplest messages are the hardest messages. Some of us, maybe we don't even know where to begin on these things, but we know that it's our call. Some of us maybe have gotten so jaded by so many people rejecting us that we just can't even imagine doing it one more time. Lord, if we put you as Lord of our life, if we say we're going to follow the way of Jesus, we do what you do. Lord, it's not a judgmental thing. It's not a, it's not a hitting people over the head with something. It's rather we believe that the Lord transforms lives. Anything short of that, we don't want to be in that business. You transform people. Your gospel transforms people. Your love, it transforms people. You call us to a life of transformation. Lord, I pray that each person, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to each person right now. That you'd be calling on them, that you'd be tugging on their heart, whatever it is. I do believe, Lord, that you're putting people right now in people's hearts of people that they're supposed to share the gospel with. Lord, time feels like it goes forever, and yet it feels also like it's a blink of the eye. Lord, the mission is too critical Lord, you have placed us in one of the most unreached people groups in the entire nation, in the entire world. Lord, allow us, challenge us, push us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Give us the authority and the power that we need to share the gospel with our friends and our families and our neighbors and our coworkers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.